Welcome to Training Room Talk, where we discuss all things performance, rehab, and education. to Training Room Talk. Um, John, Dr. John Herding here with uh, Rob Rabina, and I have a new student for the next 12 weeks, um, Alex Stewart. Welcome, Alex. How we doing? Um, so today, uh, we're going to talk about training shoulder uh, shoulders for health and longevity. Um, the reason we thought this might be a great topic is because we see a lot in the world of um, physical therapy, strength and conditioning, sports performance, about tr- um, most shoulder programs are um, like band-based maybe, yeah. and then they're retraction-based, so bringing your shoulder blades into your spine. And with the bands, it's, it's typical shoulder internal rotation, shoulder external rotation, band pull-aparts, um, pretty basic exercises without taking into account the function of the actual shoulder joint. Um, and then... When people are thinking about taking the shoulder joint to the scapulothoracic joint and um, scap the scapula, it's mostly based around retraction. Is that what you guys have seen through your Definitely. travels? Definitely. Right. Um, people seem to forget about the scapula needing to upwardly rotate and protract, right? So the scap has to come back, but then it also has to come up and around to allow people to get into overhead positions, whether you're an overhead uh, thrower or you are, um, you know, an Olympic weightlifter or you have to um, shoulder press a weight, like your shoulder blade needs to move um, fluidly, right? And in conjunction with the glenohumeral joint, which is the arm bone in the shoulder blade or shoulder socket. Um, So basically you've heard us talk about this a million times before, so we're gonna breeze right through it, is um, for us, the way we train in a rehab setting, the way that we assess and look at shoulder health starts with rib cage position because the scapulothoracic joint is a huge joint people neglect to see. um, The the scapula, which is a decent sized bone sitting on a rib cage, which is gonna um, dictate where the scapula is positioned, right? So. Um, the way when we look at a shoulder assessment and we, we do most of them with shirts off when we can, um, we want to make, we watch the shoulder blade move authentically, but we're paying attention to how the rib cage moves as the scapula shoulder blade moves around the rib cage. Um, so often we're th- looking at scapular winging, which seems to be a very common problem in most people. And we look at it more of a, a problem of rib cage position because thinking proximal inside out, proximal to distal, rib cage coming away from a shoulder blade is often more of a problem than the shoulder blade actually kind of popping off of a rib cage. Um, so that's where that falls into place for us. So that's where we'll start to train exhales and getting ribs down, back and in, um, so that you're external or your um, internally rotating your anterior rib externally rotating your posterior ribs into your shoulder blade to get a better um, synergy between the rib cage and the shoulder blades so that's where all of our shoulder rehab start is just getting rib cages back into shoulder blades with good serratus control um, using serratus as a rib cage positioner more than a scapular stabilizer initially but inherently it just stabilizes the scapula because of a better position 
Um, and I think often people forget about the serratus because if you look at any anatomy book, serratus is, has very large, um, is attached on most of the upper ribs, and then it stabilizes the, the mid-scap border. Um, so it's a huge scap stabilizer and shoulder girdle stabilizer. And I would argue more so than rotator cuff. Rotator cuff stabilizes humeral head, but if you can get a, a serratus to stabilize a scap, that's going to get humeral head in a better position than just your rotator cuff muscles in general. Um, so um, we'll train serratus with a lot of reaching activities, not necessarily um, like serratus punches with five-pound weights lying on your back. Um, we're doing um, a lot of shoulder blade or a lot of reaching to feel your shoulder blades reach round and rotate through an exhale um, to make sure ribs are in a good position you feel shoulder blades come up and around and then we kind of build from there um from john why don't you like serratus punches you're just not getting so especially if you're supine you're not getting your scaps are locked down by a bench right so you're not getting an authentic round upper rotation and um protraction and plus at, to some degree, you need to load a little bit more, and they're not taking into account rib cage position as you go into stuff. But I guess let's let's talk about the reason on why we want to be in that retracted position. So why do you see, I guess, Rob, in those like those bench press athletes, those athletes? What's the what's the purpose of us retracting and getting into that position? Is it more of a performance standpoint, or are we putting ourselves in like more health when we're getting that upper rotation? Well, I think the the big reason we see a lot of retraction based movements for uh, shoulder health programs is because that's what people think the ideal posture is. They think the shoulders back and down and chest up is a healthy, good position to be able to function and do sporting activities. Um, you know, when in reality, we're more concerned about achieving um, more just variability within the, the, the person's ability to move. You know, I always come back to the analogy of like the pendulum, like we got to be able to, you know, retract and protract. We got to be able to upwardly rotate and downly rotate. Like we all our exercises are just retraction, downward rotation, you know, lat dominant, uh, rhomboid dominant activities. Um, then that's not we don't have a good a good swinging pendulum. Yeah, and I think it, you guys can all try it at home. Like if you stand up straight in what's considered good posture, good military posture where your chest is up, your shoulders are back, your hips are um, – you have like this increased lordosis in your back and try to rotate and try to move, you feel like a toy soldier, right? Right. But if you get your rib cage back and your shoulder blades are, are freely moving, um, then you feel like you have more variability in movement and you can you can rotate, right? right? Yeah. 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 Um, yeah, so then we build out from ribcage position, serratus stabilizing scapula, which puts a glenohumeral joint in a better position, to then work up to rotator cuff strengthening, which rotator cuff muscles are not necessarily prime movers, right? They're not prime movers. They're, they're stabilizing muscles that keep a humeral head locked into the glenoid joint of the um, shoulder blade. So most of what we're doing then as we're building out from inside to out then we're working into different types of carries or um, manual perturbations to train a rotator cuff as a reactive stabilizer to maintain position versus a prime mover um, we will use it as a as a prime mover with some banded erir stuff maybe post-op as we try to um, get um, 
good healing properties and nutrients to the, the full length of the muscle, maybe to help it heal post-op. Like maybe we'll throw stuff in there too. Um, but most of the time we're working um, stabilizing the stabilizing function of a cuff more so than trying to do active ER, IR type activities, right? John, I think, you know, you spoke probably for like, I don't know, five, five, ten minutes on the rib cage, and I just feel like that is, you know, not understood and not trained enough in a lot of overhead athletes and athletes in general. And, you know, just, just having an idea of the foundation to sum up, I feel like John's, you know, five set five to ten minutes on rib cage, it's it's the foundation before you begin any sort of shoulder or rehab training or performance program. If you're not thinking about that or, or training any of that, then you're totally missing the boat on improving shoulder health and performance. Well, I think we had a, a thrower yesterday, major league player, are working through the minors, been with a couple teams, had a posterior shoulder pain, like a posterior shoulder impingement, um, and just watching him throw, he lost his anterior core and ribcage position, and everything was coming out in front of him. His, his, um, his ribcage was rising, his humerus was jutting forward in the glenoid, um, which you can, if you can picture it, is pinching down rotator cuff, maybe posteriorly, because glenoids pop forward, and as he externally rotates in layback of a throw, he's pinching. So as soon as we got him to kind of get his ribcage down, and then come through the ball, like he was able to clear some of that pretty quickly. Um, so he, he got ribs to come down, get scaps, scaps in a better position, which scap in a better position, put his humeral head in a better position to relieve some of that. Now he needs other interventions, but that was a big part of getting him on the path to being able to throw pain-free. Yeah, and I think the biggest part of that, especially in these professional athletes, is that you're going to see that these athletes are great at comp compensatory strategies and being able to get into those positions. So if they're unable to get into that layback position, whether it be from shoulder mobility or their scapular mobility, they're going to make it up somewhere else. So they're going to get it from extension of their rib cage. They're going to find a way to compensate to be able to get to the position that they want. So I think this is huge for shoulder health is being able to get that upward rotation the right way, getting the ribs down, um, stabilizing that glenohumeral joint just to be able to get them into the perfect position in order to perfect their throw and increase their shoulder health. And, and you made a great point, Rob, is um, it's not just upper rotation and protraction. It's the ability to fully retract and depress and downwardly rotate, but then get through the full excursion of motion into upper rotation. So uh, having the variability of the movement to be able to move the full excursion of motion um, is really the key. Yeah. So there are, is a time and place for retraction. It's just not a retraction-focused program all the time. It depends on the needs of the, the client or patient. Definitely. Yep. And, and, you know, when, when you think about a lot of exercises and a lot of training programs, you know, most of them are holding weights. You're deadlifting, you're holding dumbbells, you know, you're doing any sort of squatting activity, um, pretty much any squatting activity besides goblet and SSB. They're all retraction-based exercises. Every single exercise, your arms are at your sides with your shoulders back and down. Every single one. So... You know, that, that's where you have to understand that, you know, hey, you have to have a good balanced training program and have good exercises that are doing the opposite of retraction and not always doing retraction and downward rotation. And, you know, that, that comes up to the strength coach to be able to have a good idea of what exercises are retraction and downward rotation based and which ones aren't. 
And if you see someone that's lacking upper rotation in your initial evaluation, like John said, um, you have to provide the right exercises to get them proper movement. Because uh, if you don't, then they're going to run into problems, and, and that's not a good thing. <laughs> and, and Alex touched on this in his question to you earlier, Rob. So where do you separate performance-based exercises that might require retraction versus some of maybe more rehabilitative, not rehabilitative stuff, but overall health exercises that might be a little more upward rotation and protraction mm-hmm. focused? How do I separate them? Well, you kind of touched on that now. So squat maybe is more of a performance exercise. Right. A bench press, like you're, you're locking down, that's right. a performance exercise. So how, how are you working Just balancing, balancing them in your program? Yeah, I mean, I think depends on, to me, it always comes back to the athlete goals. So, like, what, why is this person in the gym lifting weights? Are they trying to throw a baseball as hard as they can? Are they trying to have a big bench press? Are they trying to be healthy and move well and play with their kids every day? So, you know, it always comes back to their initial goals. And when you have the, the, the athlete's goals in front of you and what they're trying to accomplish, um, in my opinion, it makes choosing exercises very very simple uh, because you're choosing exercises to improve their goals and improve their overall performance or whatever it might be so you know how do I balance it Um, by knowing the athletes goals and you know just looking at a general training program and saying hey like you know should I bench press this baseball player yes or no what's the purpose of the exercise why are we doing it what are we getting out of it can I do other exercises that have that don't have as much of the negatives that a, maybe a bench press might provide someone who's trying to lift their arm up overhead. You know, can we get strong doing other things that are providing more scapular variability? And, and that's kind of how I, how I look at it. It's, hey, let's choose exercises that were getting good scapular movement, retraction, protraction, upward rotation, downward rotation, um, and let's, let's do them well. And that starts to find the balance of very like maintaining variability while building performance, which is sometimes hard to do. It's huge. Yeah, and that and that's where the art and the science of it comes in because inherently, as people become more performance based, they lose a little bit. Of, they lose health, right? We've talked absolutely. about that before. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but how can you continue to um, give maybe longevity to a career by even as they extend deeper into their careers? Mm-hmm. I mean, we see guys like Tom Brady who completely changed their their programs as they age to accommodate yep. health maybe more so than performance yep. right? absolutely and that and again that's that's where it comes back to the initial evaluation saying like hey like why are you here are you 40 years old trying to play baseball or are you 19 trying to get signed you know so that that's where you make a decision it's like hey like we need to drive performance and that's the main goal of the program and to me, like, if you're just trying to have healthy shoulders for the rest of your life, then, you know, choose exercises that feel good for you. Choose exercises that promote uh, quality movement. And um, when you do those things, you're going to feel good and move well. And to me, that, that, that's the goal of having a good shoulder program is, you know, find exercises that feel good for you. Don't do exercises because you feel like you have to do exercises. Like, you know, for example, like if you don't, want to overhead shoulder press with a barbell then don't shoulder press with a barbell do dumbbells or do a different pressing exercise because guess what you don't have to shoulder press if you don't have to 
and and I think that that gets starts to get into like this risk reward as you age or based on you know um, as people age like maybe shoulder pressing directly overhead isn't the best option there's other options like a landmine press that right. might drive shoulder health if um, that's you know as if you're trying to prevent injury as you as you age yeah absolutely and I think when it comes to you know hey like can we do both? Can you do shoulder pressing and then maybe do some other exercise that is going to improve health? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, that's where having a good coach and finding a good coach that understands those two things um, and how to program those two things is, is um, you know, what you want in your trainer or coach. Yep. So it's finding the balance of um, as you work into a healthy shoulder, and but if you want to perform, find the balance of make sure you're doing the things that might not be always fun to keep the health so that you can drive a little bit more performance in right. like an overhead press or something. Yeah. And like, I think, you know, from a general standpoint, guys, like what are your I don't know, top three go-to shoulder exercises you're using from a general standpoint? Top three shoulder. Um, so I'm doing, hmm. you got to think top three for what? What are we trying to improve? Shoulder health? We shoulder try- health. So I'm probably going like from a general standpoint, wall supported is- reach. Okay. Like, so someone staying against the wall, low backs against the wall, hips are tucked under, so they're feeling hamstrings, exhaling ribs down, and reaching as they kind of exhale, so they get some. I, I mean, we drive mostly upper rotation and um, protraction in our clinic because people will come in after doing retraction based stuff, and they that's what they need. Right. And we see a ton of overhead athletes between weightlifters and baseball players, so. Um, we want, and most of them are lacking this upper rotation. Mm-hmm. You see a similar population. Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, so most of what we do is um, reach around, rotate. So like that wall supported reach, and then a serratus wall slide, mm-hmm. and then we'll usually I'll usually get into like a serratus wall slide with a lift off because then I want low traps without um, rib cage extending up Extension. and flaring up. Yep. Right. That's good. That's um, that's three good ones, John. And I probably just that's three good ones right there. Doing. Oh, of course. Yeah. Alex, what do you got? Have you developed any yet, Alex? Uh, I would say the only component, like, building into that, I mean, that was great going with the wall slides, going with the serratus, and then even adding, like, a band between the hands, just kind of get that external rotation moment at the at the top part because you're also going to engage your, your scapular stabilizers as well, working into that overhead position, which is what a lot of our athletes that you'll see here mm-hmm. kind of need. It's so. great. It's great. And, like, all those exercises can be intertwined into your training program. So at the end of the day, like, hey, can you hit a bench press and then get up and then do a wall-supported reach? 100%. And I think I think that's how you manage and keep healthy shoulders for the long term. And, you know, let's be honest, like, everyone wants a big bench press that's not playing a sport. So, you know, how to keep a big bench press is keep healthy shoulders. Exactly. When you, when you think about the bench press as well, too, something we didn't talk about is utilizing that retraction position because we talked a lot about the cons of retraction position. But the pros that we might see in that, in that bench press is – is what's the reason that we're, we're going for that retraction? It's it's really just to get us into that. We're reducing the degree of freedom that we have by moving the shoulder. We're trying to kind of protect it. So the reason that we're kind of using all these exercises is to kind of open that back up, get your shoulder to be healthy through full range of motion and mobility, and kind of take away the, the benefits that we had from that. So, Love it. Great, guys. As always, thank you for listening. If you have any questions, feel free to shoot us a note or leave a com- um, comments in the comment section. And please spread the word. If you like the content, please help share so that we can get more people on board. 
um, and we can continue to do this for you guys. Um, so thanks again for listening to Train Room Talk. Until next time, guys. Thanks.